in long enough. Good morning. Um, I'm really excited about that Puerto Rico thing. There are four congregations now. There's, um, <coughs> there's two in San Juan, San Juan Verdad, uh, Jesus Verdad, and, and, and San Juan Reformada, uh, pastored by Carlos Cruz and Roberto Quinones. And then there's also one in Arroyo, um, uh, Solo Escritura, and uh, Pastor Bradney Lopez. And now it looks like a new one in San Sebastian with um, Jesus Ooh, Gomez, I think. That's <laughs> like Jones in English. <laughs> um. Your own pastor has been, the senior pastor has been very involved in that work as well. Well, um, last Less than six months after um, I came to Christ and was saved, uh, I went to a, um, a leadership conference sponsored by InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, which in those days was a very sound um, college campus organization and on the East Coast was heavily influenced by Westminster Seminary students and graduates. And the um, <clears throat> lectures that week were excellent, um, they were the sort of stuff we needed to hear, but it was also very much of it pretty heavy duty. Uh, for many of us, it was really the first time we'd ever heard about the doctrines of grace and the true uh, gospel of the Reformation clearly and uncompromisingly proclaimed. And it was not the sort of easy believism that it was and still is easily commonly taught and modeled in many evangelical churches we were hearing about the sovereignty of God and the lordship of Jesus Christ and the high calling of discipleship. And, and honestly, um, by the end of the week, quite a few kids were pretty sober. Um, not a few began to wonder if they really were Christians, after all, uh, or disciples of Christ. And the conference leaders were actually uh, compelled to add a... Um, to add an um, extra optional class on the subject of the assurance of salvation. Is, is this thing really loud? Does this sound all right to you? Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, um, this sermon um, that I'm going to share with you, this message is a companion message to um, a message on um, the perseverance or preservation of the saints. Now, the doctrine of uh, perseverance uh, simply represents the Bible teaching that those who are unconditionally saved, God will not save, uh, not fail to keep. Uh, there's a great quotation from, from Charles Spurgeon who said that, um, that we may fall many times on the deck of the ship of life, but we shall never fall overboard. So God does not cast away those whom he loves. He doesn't undo his work of grace. Um, indeed, by the grace of God, a true Christian will always persevere and never be lost to God or lose their salvation. But this morning, I want to talk now about the assurance of salvation, which is also important. Now, the perseverance of the saints and the assurance of salvation are, are um 
very, very close to one another. They're closely related, but they're not the same thing. Assurance addresses the person who is a Christian, um, a saved man or woman or child, but, but for one reason or another, they may lack assurance that they're, uh, of their salvation. Um, and that's not a comfortable place to be in, for sure. It's not an uncommon thing, especially uh, for an earnest Christian to question their salvation at some point in their life. And maybe they see other people that seem so on fire for the Lord and whose faith seems so alive to them. And, and uh, maybe, though, they, uh, they, they feel a little dull towards uh, the Lord themselves and a little blasé about their faith. Or maybe they have a keen sense of the depth of their sin and wonder if someone is bad with, as they and with such a record as they could, could really be a Christian. Or, or maybe you just know somebody who's questioning uh, their relationship with Christ. It's, it's not an altogether bad thing. It's good to face our doubts. But one of the beauties of our faith uh, is the fact that we can know that we belong to the Lord. In fact... Um, the, the Protestant Reformation was all about that, that we can have assurance of salvation. We, we can know that we're saved. Now, normally, um, I prefer to work from one Bible text as I speak from the pulpit, and I think your pastors probably do as well. It's generally preferable, but this morning I want to give you five texts. I want you to think of them as five well-placed stones on which you can firmly tread as you cross the rushing streams, the waters of doubt and uncertainty and step onto the solid ground of assurance. So, the first thing to remember, if you want to follow in the outline, um, is that your assurance of salvation doesn't rest upon your feelings but upon what the historic Christ has done for you and in you at the cross outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. And I can illustrate this for you with um, a picture. I want you to draw in your mind's eye. You may be familiar with this picture. It's a picture of a train. And at the front of the train is a powerful engine. And directly behind the engine is a coal car from which the engine is fueled. And behind the coal car is the caboose in which uh, the crew can rest. So, the engine that pulls the train is labeled faith. The coal car which fuels the engine is labeled facts. And the caboose at the end of the train is labeled feelings. I, maybe you get this. The, the, the engine that draws the train represents faith. The coal car that fuels that faith represents, it, it represents facts. And, and the caboose represents the feelings. Now, the point of the illustration is simply that our relationship with Christ is drawn along by faith, which is fed by facts. The feelings, the caboose... Uh, those are pleasant and even preferable, but, but not essential to running the train, which can operate with or without the caboose. But the train cannot be pulled by the caboose any more than the dog can be wagged by the tail. The train only operates when it's drawn by faith resting on facts. 
So it points out that our relationship with Christ is independent of our feelings, but based upon the work of Christ. That is the fact upon which our faith is firmly settled. The ground of our assurance is faith resting upon uh, the historic work of Jesus Christ. The first place of our assurance must rest upon that. I mean, what did Jesus mean uh, by his last words on the cross? It is finished. Those were very important words. What did he mean by them? Well, he meant that he had completed his uh, divine Trinitarian assignment. He meant that there was absolutely nothing more further required for our salvation. Jesus paid it all. There's nothing more that I can do because Jesus uh, did it all. Uh, So our assurance rests, again, not upon our performance, much less our feelings, but upon the meritorious work of Christ credited or imputed to us and purchased with the blood of Christ. Um, I want to assure you um, this morning that the blood of Christ is completely adequate, completely sufficient to cover all of your sins. Think for a moment about the Apostle Peter. Peter denied Jesus almost to his face uh, three times. He might have wondered to himself, am I really saved? I'm just fooling myself. Or what about uh, Saul, the Apostle Paul, who who persecuted the church cruelly. He might have wondered the same. You may be thinking to yourself, yes, but I've sinned a hundred times the same sin over and over. And I have too, I freely admit it. And it grieves me terribly. But that doesn't disqualify me from being a follower of Christ. My assurance does not rest upon my performance or my record. It rests upon Christ who called me and saved me out of darkness into his wonderful light. Brethren, if, if Jesus required Peter to forgive his brother 70 times 7, that's 490, an expression that uh, connotes uh, not a literal number, but rather a, a commitment to endless forgiveness, if that's what God expects of us, can we expect any less from him? No. Because of the unending uh, covenant love for us and his covenant love. Because, and let this fact sink into your ears because the blood of Christ is so effective and so powerful. It is endlessly sufficient. And it's absolutely sheer ignorance or arrogance to suppose otherwise. If you're feeling that perhaps you cannot be saved because of the depth or repetition of your sin, don't be impressed with your humility. Rather, be impressed by your arrogance that you would suppose that the work of Christ isn't sufficient for you. The Apostle Peter put it this way. And this is my first text. You were wondering when I was going to get to that. First Peter 1, 18 and 19. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ the lamb without fault or defect. First Peter 18, 19, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, the lamb without fault or defect. To say it once more, the first ground of our assurance of salvation is the firm, finished, and most adequate work of Christ. Now, the second ground of our faith uh, and our assurance in faith rests upon the promises of God. 
The Bible is filled, and you, you know this, it's filled with rock-ribbed promises that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Acts 2.21, that's my second text. Acts 2.21, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. A promise. A clear promise. And there's, here's another one. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And here's it. That's Romans 10.9. And here's, and here's the third. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death uh, to, to life. So, if you have... Uh, John 5.24, if, if you sincerely confess your sin before God, especially the sin of pride and unbelief and self-sufficiency, and you've asked him to forgive you and asked you to, uh, him to save you on the basis of Jesus' work on the cross, then you may rest in his promises and trust that God has saved you and will forever keep his promises. Jesus delights he delights to, to save. He takes no pleasure in the, the death of, of, the, of the wicked. As Jesus himself, he's the good shepherd out searching for the sheep. Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That's his great work. God is not playing hard to get. He's not waiting for you to utter some magic words in just the right order. So that as if you were standing in front of some great door trying to figure out the password to make it open. Not at all. And, and God doesn't, doesn't require some sort of great emotional experience either. Um, some, may, uh, some may suppose it because they don't have some sort of wild, dramatic uh, conversion experience. Uh, they're not really sure that they're saved. But, but that's not true. If you've grown up in a Christian home and you've always heard about Jesus and you just quietly one day as a child asked him to be your Lord and Savior, that's wonderful. That's, that's exactly what it should have happened. Your salvation is as secure as anyone else's. Because assurance, remember, rests upon the promises of God which you must hold on to come what may. Now, my favorite childhood dog, humor me for a moment, um, my favorite childhood dog was a scrappy Irish terrier named Mugsy McGraw. Now, my father, who was born in the last century, named him after, this is a trivia question, I won't actually ask it, he's named after John Mugsy McGraw, who was born in 1873, the 30-year manager of the New York Giants. McGraw was um, an Irishman, he was loyal, he was generous, but he was tough, he was pugnacious, he was abusive, and he was particularly hard on umpires, and he was thrown out of more games than anyone could possibly number. Now, my Irish terrier, Muggsy, was a very tough, tenacious, powerful dog. Uh, and uh, if I was playing with him, he loved to play, um, and I waved a towel or a shirt in front of him. He caught on immediately. He would grab onto it. And, uh, and he would never let go. I, you could tug. I could jerk. I could even lift him up into the air, which wasn't easy for a small boy. He would never give up. And that's what you must do with God's promises. Maybe you've heard the old saying, God promised it, I believe it, and that settles it forever. There's nothing 
wrong with that expression. You must grasp hold of God's promises and hold on to them like, a, like an Irish terrier and never give up your grip. Um, Winston Churchill, and I think this is a true story, was once um, asked to give a speech at his old public school, read private school. I believe it was Harrow. And so uh, when it was time for him to speak, he stood up and, um, and he uh, growled at the body, uh, student body, and he said, never, 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 never. And he went on at some length, never, I say, give up. <coughs> and then he sat down. <coughs> so the assurance of salvation. <coughs> Obviously, I shouldn't have tried to <coughs> imitate Winston Churchill. The assurance of your salvation rests <clears throat> upon God's written <clears throat> promises to which we must hold tenaciously and simply never give up. The third thing, the assurance of your salvation rests upon the persistent promises of, excuse me, the persistent purpose of God. Um, uh, it rests upon the adequacy of Christ's work, it rests upon the promises of God, and it rests upon the persistent purpose of God. God says, uh, those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. My third text, Romans um, 3.80, excuse me, 8.30. Of those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. An unbreakable chain. Uh, in Philippians 1, the apostle assures the church that he who began a good work in them will surely bring it to conclusion on the day of uh, Christ Jesus. That was his confidence, and that applies also to us. It is ever God's purpose to finish his saving work in the lives of his people. Listen to the Apostle Paul. He says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor uh, angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor heights nor depths, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ that is in, the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. The point being, that it is God's unchangeable and irrevocable purpose to save his people from their sin. And he will do it. That's our assurance. Our assurance rests not upon ourselves. It rests upon the adequacy of the work of Christ. It rests upon the promises of God. And it rests upon the persistent purpose of God. If you confessed Christ as your Savior and Lord, here's your situation. This is God's persistent and eternal purpose in your life. God the Father elected you from the councils of eternity. God the Son came and died on the cross as the sinless Savior to secure that salvation. And God the Holy Spirit supplied or applied, rather, uh, that saving work to your soul and drew you to the Lord Jesus Christ. So you may slide, you may slip, you may struggle, you may fall. Here's what you do. You repent, 
you turn back and you ask Jesus to forgive you again and you get up. And when you fall again, you get up. And you get up again and again and again and again and again. That's the Christian life. That's the victorious Christian life. It's not one great event. It's a lot of events. where you, It's a life of continuous repentance and faith. God will never give up upon you. Jesus will help you. He will carry you through because he is irrevocably committed to you. It is the unfailing purpose of Christ to present you, all of you, uh, his people, uh, everyone, to the Father on the last day. Here's the fourth thing. Your assurance rests upon the testimony of God the Holy Spirit in your hearts. Romans 8.17, my fourth text. Romans 8.17, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, we are heirs, co-heirs with God and with Jesus Christ. So your most precious possession as a Christian is the indwelling of God the Holy Spirit in your heart. If you belong to Jesus, then you have the Holy Spirit. The giving of the Spirit is coextensive with the giving of eternal life. And so if you have life in Christ, you have the Spirit. And the Spirit, among other things, bears testimony in your miserable heart. That you do belong to him. Now, I know that sounds a little subjective and uh, subject to feelings, which I've said bad things about. But, uh, but, and and to to agree it is. uh, But, but it's very sweet and very powerful. Uh, Recorded in John 14 twice. Um, this idea of John 15 uh, and then again in John 16, uh, Jesus promises his disciples that after his ascension back into heaven, he will send the comforter, that is the Holy Spirit, to teach and comfort and bear witness in the hearts of his people of his love and commitment to them. To his sorrowing disciples who finally understand that he's leaving them, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So God the Holy Spirit is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And he does not dwell in the hearts of unbelievers. He does not. But in the heart of his blood-bought children, he is always, always present. God the Holy Spirit is a most glorious and most personal and precious proof or assurance that we do belong to Jesus. And we may be more or less conscious conscious of him, depending on our spiritual state, but it is because of the Spirit that Jesus can say to his people, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Finally, the fifth thing. The final evidence comes uh, to me as I see assurance of God's grace in my life. As I see evidences of God's grace uh, in, 
in our lives. When, uh, when and I see the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that is an evidence of my being a converted man or woman. Uh, Jesus tells us in Matthew 7.17, this is my fifth and last text, Matthew 7.17, that every tree bears good fruit. That every good tree bears good fruit. I mean, isn't that what you'd expect? <laughs> uh, we, may not, we may not see this fruit just falling down or at our, at our feet every day, but, but there will be some fruit and some may be more evident than others. But every Christian ought to be able to see something of God's grace in their life, some measure of fruit in their life, uh, some evidence that God is at work in my life, uh, making me more loving, making me more patient, making, uh, making me more faithful, more in love with Him. So that I can say to myself, I know I belong to Him because I can see His work in my life refining me, encouraging me, and producing those good works which He prepared for me to do. Especially when I see those things in my life that are not explainable easily by my human nature. Loving people that are not very lovable. Doing things that I wouldn't normally do. Being obedient to parents or others who have a legitimate authority over you. Especially when everything in you wants to do something else. Especially when he, when he providentially pushes you into a corner. And, and there's no place to go. You see, there's one thing you can do. You can duck out and slip away, or you can buckle under and, and do the right thing. And when you, when you don't do the end run, but when you do the right thing, that's God's grace. And that's what parents love to see with their kids, you know, when they buckle in and do the right thing, and, God, and, they, and they do it. Have you ever done anything just because you love Jesus? That's a, that's a great question. Loving people that are not lovable. When God providentially pushes you. In other words, when you see God's grace in your life, that gives you good reason for assurance. Uh, yes, I do belong to Jesus. He is first in my life. Now, let me say in closing that when we sin against God very grievously for a time, and until we straighten things out with him, we may not feel very good about our relationship with Christ. We may, not, we may not feel that we have any assurance of salvation, or we may feel that we have very little. Indeed, to be honest, we have no right to have a great feeling of assurance of salvation if we're not living as sons and daughters of the King. Remember this, uh, that, that if we're saved and belong to the Lord, we can never lose our salvation unless we... We utterly fail to persevere in faith over a long period of time, at which point we may have reason to question if we ever came to Christ in the first place, were ever converted in the first place. Our salvation we can never lose, but we can lose our assurance if we're not following Christ, if we're not trusting Him and making faithful use of the means of grace, but neglecting them shamefully. Never pray, never read the Bible. Uh, avoid church, behave like a pagan. That sort of thing can wound the conscience and rightly cause you to 
lose your assurance. And if that's happening to any of you, you should, you should immediately repent of your neglect of sin and flee back to Jesus and the cross and be, and be quick about it. Let me read to you finally these words of the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 18, section 4. This is a, this is a beautiful section. Speaking about the assurance of salvation, the assurance true believers have of their salvation may be shaken, lessened, or interrupted from, for various reasons, from neglecting uh, to persevere it, uh, to, per- to preserve it, from committing some particular sin which wounds the conscience and grieves the spirit, or from some sudden or strong temptation, or God withdrawing the sense of his presence and allowing us to walk in darkness. All of those things may shake us, he says, may, may uh, cause us to, to question our salvation. Nevertheless, they write, nevertheless, they are never completely without God's seed. The life of faith, the love of Christ and other believers, and the sincere heart and obedient conscience out of which the Spirit may revive this assurance in due time and by which they are in the meantime kept from utter despair. The assurance of salvation is a sweet possession of every confessed and genuine a believer. It's something you should have. And if you're struggling with this um, and, and need some help, talk with, with uh, one of the pastors uh, or, or with one of the elders and, and they'll be happy to help you through that. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, we thank you for your word and for your promises and for your gracious work and your, your, um, your covenant love and commitment to us. We thank you that on these things we rest and we can walk through dark places and know that we are with you. And we can rejoice on the brightest day and know that you are with us. We ask your grace and blessing on these things. In Jesus' name, amen.